Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 147, Summer Reads 2019. Today we're going to take turns talking about our summer reading, what we're reading, what we're planning to read, and what we think you should read. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, well, Julia's actually out sick, so um. we're Todd and Ryder, two old friends <laughs> who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, is novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hey! Hey, hey, Julia. Ju- hey. Ju- Julia? Julia? This is, it's, it's, it's kind of depressing. And it, it's a little but, sad. You know, it's on the heels of our episode about toxic masculinity. So now you So in a weird way, out. it's kind of appropriate. It's like, it's dudes only at the disco. It's, it's, it's dudes night at the disco. So this will uh, finally be an episode, uh, Ryder, where neither of us interrupts Julia. <laughs> Julia finally has the, the space to talk. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, we actually had somebody tweeted us one time the ratio of our of Todd and me talking to Julia, and it was something embarrassing. Like she spoke for fifteen minutes, and Todd and I spoke for thirty minutes each. Right. Uh, so we we do have a, a, a bad tendency to, but we've been working on it. I think yes. we're getting better. Yes, we are getting because better because we've also realized that our fan base is mostly women who love Julia. <laughs> So actually, this is gonna probably end up being the least listened to episode once people find out Julia's not in it. Well, and you know, uh. oddly enough, this is the second time we've done a uh, entry into summer reading episode where one of us is missing because one year, oh, that's uh, right. I Julia that. and I did it because you were like you're doing some Lord of the Rings vacation or something, like you're out hiking in Australia <laughs> with looking for a fucking ring or some shit. I don't remember. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. It was it was one of your it was one of your vacations where like you had a grand plan and then you got there and you're like, oh my god, we have an infant. What have we done? <laughs> it's pretty much every trip I take nowadays. Although he's not an infant anymore. Now it's why are we here with a four year old? The latest was we were at the Tribeca Film Festival because my wife had a short film uh, that she wrote and directed, uh, which is awesome, and it, you. Yeah, uh, I can't direct anybody to see it because it's still just doing the festival circuit. But anyway, she premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. So we went out there and brought our four-year-old. It was like, why? New York City with the four-year-old is already difficult enough. But also during the Tribeca Film Festival, it was it was a nightmare. Because uh, you're up until four in the morning, networking, drinking, because everything's open until four in the morning. And then having to wake up at you know, six with our son and take him to the natural history museum. He loved it though. And luckily we had grandparents come in and rescue us. Um, But yeah, no, that's, that's every trip I take these days is like, we can do it. Uh, This year we're going to, no joke. We're going to Bali, Alaska, Costa Rica, uh, and then, of course, Northern California. Right. I'm doing like four major trips still in this year, so we'll see. We'll see if we survive. Uh, we haven't made our actual summer vacation plans yet because I'm I, I'm sort of trying to figure out something important, which is, am I going to make the deadline for my book? <laughs> is this a new Gangsterland book? This or? is a, a collection of short stories uh, called mm-hmm. Gang Related. Um, And these are all short stories uh, about criminals and crooks and gangsters that um, exist within the universe of the the gangster land book. So I've been keeping a secret. Ryder knows this secret. um, And I can't give all the details out. But I can say one thing, which is that um, 
Amazon optioned uh, Gangster Land and Gangster Nation for a TV show. Um, and they're going to announce all of the awesome people that are involved with it uh, very shortly. Um, but I'm putting off so writing exciting. the third book in the series to see if the show gets picked up, quite frankly. Um, are you going to George R. R. Martin this shit? Yeah. <laughs> then finish I, it? <laughs> like, I, I don't want a show to be on, and then I'm be like, oh, well, uh, I finished the book series, so I'm trying to be a little bit more savvy um, about right. it. So we're putting out a collection of short stories in between um, the novels. And oh, also, that's fun. and this is a weird thing that I, I think we'll be talking about at some point, um, which is that a lot of publishers are really concerned about putting out... Um, the top of their list books in fall of 2020 um, because of the presidential election. So typically my books come out in fall falls, the part of the year where they um, typically put out their lead titles. Um, and like, I'm, I'm not going up against Donald Trump and whoever the democratic nominee is like at, at this point for the democratic nominee, I'd vote for Snoopy and the Millennium Falcon. Like, I don't care <laughs> who's running, <Just> right? <laughs> like, oh, that ship looks good. Um, so we're going to put out the short story collection instead um, in the summer of 2020. And then um, I'll have a new novel out sometime in 2021. Um, so all that is a long way of saying I got to figure out if, if I can go on vacation because I have to finish writing this book um, by September. So I'm hoping to finish this book and go you gotta somewhere. Go. You gotta go on vacation. I, t- I, yeah. I desperately What, what need you need to, to do is book the vacation to force the deadline, right? Yeah. Like, if you know you need it to be done by a certain you know. That yeah. Way. And then school starts again for me October 1st. So really after the book is done, I'll have a month off still where I could, you know, go on a vacation or wherever I wanted. But And read all the lovely books we're about yeah, to talk about. Yeah, but I, I plan on reading a bunch of books anyway because I got a bunch of stuff planned uh for my my edification this summer. Um, um, so before we jump into our summer reads, actually, I wanted to yes. I wanted to tack on to our last episode, um, which you know, we, as we mentioned, was the one about uh, uh, Jared Yates Sexton's book uh, about toxic masculinity. And I really meant to bring this up while we recorded the episode, and I completely forgot because we had such a good discussion. But um, there is an album that if anybody is interested in what Jared was writing about in his book or the subject of toxic masculinity, uh, there is, it's one of the most genius albums I've heard in a long time. It's by this guy named Henry Jameson. And it just came out um, earlier this year. And it's an album called Gloria Duplex. Um, And it is like basically the song cycle equivalent of Jared's book. Um, and uh, I wanted to play the beginning. Uh, the, if you listen to the first, like I, I, I urge everybody to listen to the album in order, actually, um, at, at least the first five songs in order, because they build this this story about, you know, I mean, I think I think a lot of us basically post Trump election, we're going through a, you know, a realization about toxic masculinity in America. And I I think there's there's going to be a lot of art and a lot of essays and a lot of stuff coming out about that. You know, Jared's book was obviously one response. um, But this is a musical, lyrical response um, that is so genius. um, So. I, I'm gonna. I want to listen to at least the first uh, couple verses of the opening of this album. It's a song called Gloria. Yeah. Okay. 
remember actually i tweeted all right i sent you an email because he wrote a song on his last album that i became obsessed with called through the glass right is, right do you remember right, this yeah yes. so i i actually emailed you about it because i was like this is somebody smart enough to take the 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 feeling of a springsteen song and mm-hmm. the, the anthematic like yeah i got the girl and i'm driving the car and i'm i'm going to the place and life is good he took that and deconstructed it within a version of that song so through the through the glass off his last album is a masterpiece that like changed my life last year and i've actually tweeted about it too um but but this album gloria duplex is like i said it's like a song cycle uh taking down our our concept of masculinity and and exploring his own issues um it's so brilliant and the first like i said the first five songs in particular really build this story in a way that um i can't get enough of it like I, you know i i had been i'd been listening to like the songs individually and that, but right. then i find i got the vinyl and if you sit down and listen to it in order all the way through it's a game changer mm. like it is so brilliant i mean you have to like folky you know right. singer songwriter stuff which i do but if anybody is into that and into into sort of you know exploring this cultural moment that we're at where we're all kind of realizing how awful um, the masculine ideal is and has affected so many of us, it's it's incredibly personal and beautiful and um, has some of the best lyrics I've heard in a long time. And here's the other important thing: if you are the, the kind of person who's a big Gordon Lightfoot fan. I forgot. This dude does an amazing cover of "If You Could Read My Mind." Oh, it's, really? Yes, and he sort of got the same like lilt that uh, Gordon Life, like Gordon Life. But kids, if you're listening, this is this is where you turn off literary disco and you start listening to something cool. Gordon Lightfoot <laughs> was a singer songwriter in the '70s who sang a lot of songs about downed ships and stuff. Um, but uh, this dude does a really good cover of um, Gordon Lightfoot's other most famous song, If You Could Read My Mind. I forgot awesome. about that. So here's the thing that, like, I thought he was, when you sent me um, Through a Glass, um, I just thought this was a guy that no one knew about. But he has a song called Real Peach that's been played yeah, 55 that's a big million hit. times on Spotify. Yeah, he's sort of, he's, he's he, you know, yeah, he's definitely, but he's pushing things, man, like, 
I mean, the lyrics, he has a song called Florence Nightingale that is about him, like, you know, going to the, going to the, the hospital. It opens with him, like at the doctor's with his, with his girlfriend and a nurse comes in and he, he makes a joke about her being Florence Nightingale. And Mm -hmm. then she's like pissed off at him for making that comparison. (laughs) So, so that. So then he's like, okay, all right, I'll just read you the lyrics. So I backpedaled, said, okay, then how about Mary Magdalene? Anyway, I was reminded of a dream I had as my confidence came and went, where all the girls from the 90s were singing just around the river bend, all along the banks of the Arkansas, and I paddled through in a dugout canoe. I was a John Smith cartoon with a strong jaw. Listen, I'm white, middle class, and male, and the dream does tell a tale of whiteness dreaming of whiteness with a want for wisdom that might tip the scale. Because my friend and I felt an affinity with the tribes in the documentary that plays on a loop in the backmost wing of the Museum of Natural History. But my imperialist didn't suddenly die. He just loosened his tie and took a knee. And Disneyland never made a man. That's all just false idolatry. <laughs> it's like... I mean, the he's, layers like a, that... he's like a more sensitive Mark Kozilek from Sun Kill Moon. Do you know that guy? Uh, yeah, the, I, I know. The, I know the band. I heard the band, but I don't really listen that much. So, so listeners, by the way, this is what the show would be if Julie weren't on it. Ryder, Ryder, and I just talking about music. <laughs> it's so true. Maybe that's a good show on its own. It's just Todd and Ryder. But the problem is, we would all be like singer songwriter dudes. Right. We'd just be going back and forth about Jason Isbell, right. Henry Jameson, yes. and Dan Morrison, and be like. Eh. <laughs> The, anyway, Henry Jameson is, is a genius if you're into that kind of, you know, good lyrics and storytelling, <laughs> song, song, singer-songwriter stuff. Anyway, let's move on to our books that yes. we're going to read for this summer. Let's so, do uh, that. What, 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 what do you, uh, what, what do you got? What so, do you have I've to, got uh, four books, and it turns out that one of them is on your list as well. So, let's talk about nice. that one first. Yes. Uh, because it comes out really soon. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background. Um, the book that I, uh, cannot wait to read, and it's almost 500 pages long. It's 400 and, well, it's 425 pages long, uh, is a book called Shadowlands, a Western tale of America in crisis, fear and freedom at the Oregon standoff by a writer named Anthony McCann. Um, and it has already received just amazing pre-reviews book list gave it a starred reviewed uh, and said a momentous and important nonfiction debut the core subject is nothing less than the nature of american identity and the concept of freedom i mean good lord yeah <laughs> um so anthony mccann is actually a fantastic poet um he is the author of several books of poetry including uh, i heart your fate um which i absolutely loved and thing music and I should note, uh, he works for me. He teaches poetry <laughs> at the University of California, Riverside. Yeah. Um, but this book, he went up and embedded with the Bundy gang when they overtook the nature preserve in Oregon and then followed them all the way through the trial in Las Vegas that ultimately uh, exonerated them. It's the craziest story. Yeah. It, so, I mean, I was obsessed story. with this when it was happening because it was like there are armed people <laughs> taking over a wildlife refu- refuge in Oregon. In Oregon to, you know, protest the federal government, essentially. But they were doing it with guns. And I remember this was, you know, in 2016, right after Black Lives Matter right. had sort of, you know, gotten taken hold. And I remember being like, oh my God, if a 
if a group of Black Lives Matters protesters took they, o- with they'd guns, be dead. they'd be All dead in a heartbeat. If they if 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 they grabbed weapons and 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 took over a, a federal government property, they'd be dead. They'd be bombed. They'd be killed. So it was an amazing to me that this group, these group of white dudes you know religious white dudes uh and i actually don't i mean i only read so many articles when it was happening so i'm so excited to dive into this book this is like to me there's nothing more 2016 than that story yeah which explains like where we're at right now uh, and and i i really want to i can't wait to get into and, it and it's you know it's a complex issue of course of the criminal justice system but also yep. about land rights and about yep. perceptions of american freedom and uh, the religious um, assertion that parts of America belong to different parts of uh, to different Americans, like all sorts of yeah. crazy stuff. But the amazing thing is that Anthony got to know all of these players. It's not like he was, I mean, he's a writer, but he's not a traditional journalist. He's a, he's a poet. And he's sort of like this big floppy haired guy with a long beard who you think might actually be one of those guys. So he probably got right. along with them really well. Um, but like he knows the Bundys now. He knew the guy who got killed, uh, Lavoy. Um, like he he really understands and, and got inside of the story. And just to hear him talk about it, you know, bullshitting around a campfire basically is amazing. This book, um, I, I really think, based on the early reviews and based on the quality of the writing that I've seen him do previously when writing about this, he had some long essays um, in the Los Angeles Review of Books. Like, this is going to be one of those books that's in the conversation for the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and all of the pre-reviews have basically said the same thing. Publishers Weekly also just said, um, it's an arresting and brilliant first-hand account, uh, which is required reading for anyone interested in the ideological gap between American left and right. Um, yeah. Who's interested in that? Everyone. 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 <laughs> right now, everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, I was also, um, you know, so I, I, I'm i 20 pages in. I literally got my copy in the mail today, <laughs> and I just div- just started reading right away. I couldn't put it down. So I, I'm only like 20 or 30 pages in, but it's he's already struck on, um, he's already referenced Edward Abbey, who's like mm-hmm. one of those touchstone authors for me, who was like this... You know, he's a complicated figure for me now because he was one of my early heroes uh, as a because he's an environmentalist, but he was also pretty radical and right. he was also um, a very libertarian in a way that I don't identify with. And um, and I I'm I'm really excited to for to see how Anthony dives into that weird territory between like environmentalist sort of Western uh, libertarian you know land usage issues and then the archest political moment and the politics of race and how, and religion and how that all plays into this confrontation that 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 went down um it also reminded reminded me of fourth of july creek oh right the novel yeah. by smith henderson right you know which is kind of a, a very similar it's that is a period mm-hmm. piece set in the 70s but it has a similar sort of like um uh, libertarian uh, anti-government you know, anti-government storyline within it that uh, you, you know and, and it takes a somewhat sympathetic view of uh, you know mm-hmm. an interesting view I guess or a nuanced view that it really that's what's great about Fourth of July Creek if, if anyone's hasn't read that and is interested in a novel that is similar to the the themes of Shadowlands uh, check that one out too yeah all right um, what's your uh, what's your next big pick for the summer all right so my my big pick of what i'm planning to read is um uh ursula Le Guin, oh um whom i've never read 
Uh, and so I picked up a copy of her book, Always Coming Home. Um, so Ursula Le Guin is, is a very famous and successful science fiction fantasy writer um, who died last year. And um, I've always, you know, I've always circled around her work and heard a lot about her work. And, and so I finally was like, nope, this is going to be the time where I, I dive in. And, and I picked this one. And the reason I picked this one, um, I, I, it's a lovely edition that uh, the Library of America put out. And, and it's considered her like mid-career masterpiece. But um, really what's fascinating to me about it, and the, the, the whole reason that I really want to read her and that it's a shame that I haven't, is if it, if we have any like really hardcore listeners going all the way back to our very first episode, oh, man. they may remember that I had a professor in college who like changed my life. His name was Carl Krober, and he was an amazing, um, amazing professor. And um, I met him, or I, I you know was in his class, which was a, a Native American traditional stories class, where he you know taught about traditional Native American stories from all tribes in North America. And it was it just a game changer for me, blew my mind and changed the way I thought about literature and storytelling and really life. And I was in his class on September 11th and he's just an amazing teacher uh, that, you know, mentor for me. And Ursula Le Guin is his sister. Oh my gosh. And the reason why that's interesting in context of this book, Always Coming Home, is that they both grew up in a household in Northern California where their father, uh, the uh, Alfred Krober um, was America's real first anthropologist. So that's the K anthropologist. Ursula K. Le Guin is Krober? Yeah, I guess so. Huh. Yeah. Does she have a K in the middle yeah, of Yeah, it's name? Ursula yeah. K. Le Guin. Yeah, that's, that's probably oh, Krober. Yeah. Wow. So they're... Cool. But so they grew up. They grew up in Berkeley. the The Berkeley, the wing of the library of the UC Ber of UC Berkeley is named for Alfred Krober. He was one of the first. He was the first American Boazian anthropologist. He's the reason that we know anything about Native Americans west of the Mississippi. Hmm. Basically, he, especially California. He, um, so he's like this incredible uh, figure in American letters you know and 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 the reason that he's like solely responsible for like why we even know i think like five different native american tribes languages that mm. otherwise would have been dead except that he saved them preserved them and recorded them and recorded their stories so it wasn't a coincidence that his son carl taught me native american stories but it also isn't a coincidence that this book always coming home is structured as a futuristic anthropological look back on a society that is gone. And I'm so excited. So I, I think that, you know, they grew up in this house with a father who was this incredible anthropologist, always gathering artifacts and gathering stories and recording things. And so I'm so curious about this story in particular because it's structured as an anthropological study. Um, and I, I just can't wait to dive into it. Um, well, that so sounds it's, amazing. It's, it's set in Northern California. It's a, it's a, it's an anthropologist report on the Kesh who are survivors of an ecological catastrophe living in a future Napa Valley. Huh. Um, so it came out in 1985. It's a, on the back, it says it's a original tapestry of history and myth, fable and poetry, storytelling and song. And sure enough, like the chapters are divided as if it's like a collection of, you know, stories from this lost community. Uh, so anyway, I'm so excited, and it seems like this is the perfect way for me to be introduced to her work. I know her most famous work is uh, 
the series of novels that were the earth sea right. fantasy stuff I've, but, I've, um, I've only read her short stories i don't think i've ever read a single novel of hers yeah i'm super excited this episode is brought to you guys by hello fresh which is a delicious meal kit delivery service that shops plans and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you and i which i'll be talking about in a second can just cook it and eat it um Of course, this is Julia from Literary Disco. Sorry to interrupt this amazing episode, but I wanted to tell you guys that I made cheddar chicken fajitas with my daughter, and they were so delicious, and she got to help out um, sprinkling on the cheese and all that good stuff. Um, It's really nice that HelloFresh is really easy, comes right to your door, so you don't have to go to the grocery store, which is something I don't do. I don't have time. I'm busy reading and running a theater and raising a baby. Who has time to drive around to the store? Not me. <laughs> um, but even though it comes to your door, like it's not super complicated. You get a cool little recipe card. It's really simple. You just follow it. And then you end up with some delicious meal. It can be classic veggie family, 20 minute meal, gourmet, one pot wonders, Um, there's a million choices. So you guys should totally check it out. And you can check it out because Literary Disco has a super secret discount code for you. Um, So secret that we just blasted out to our thousands of listeners. Okay, here it is. You get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. And you do that by going to hellofresh.com slash literarydisco80 and enter the code, which is LITERARYDISCO80. So, again, you have to go to our super secret, super special URL, which is HelloFresh.com slash LITERARYDISCO80, and then you enter the code LITERARYDISCO80. And I assume that is because you will have 80,000 good experiences with this, but it's probably just because you get $80 off. Have fun cooking and reading. Let us know what you read while you cook. Uh, so that sounds awesome. Okay. Uh, I, I forgot to tell you, uh, there's something else I have to do um, that goes back to something um, we talked about a couple episodes ago. I'm actually going to read all of Jane Austen this summer. Are you serious? For <laughs> yes. what? So I'm doing a film series here in the desert called Lit Flicks that we do every summer where it's all books to film and it's going to be the summer of Jane Austen. And so <laughs> I have to be able to talk semi-lucidly about the adaptations of all the books to the films oh my god (laughs) so i'm reading all of jane austen starting with (laughs) mansfield park um which i'm going to read sometime before july 6th when the first film uh screens (laughs) so i'll be a very enlightened young man Uh, okay so the next book i want to talk to you about is so this is a little bit of a, a lie or a cheat because i've already read it but it's coming out in the summer, and everyone else should read it. Um, it is a book called Norco 80 by a writer named Peter Houlihan. And it is one of the most absolute hairball true crime accounts I've ever read. It's about a bank robbery in a small town in um, Southern California, Norco, which is uh, essentially between Palm Springs and Los Angeles. It's a nothing town where no one lives and no one goes. Um, and in 1980, um, a bunch of religious zealots um, who needed money to build their own um, religious compound, essentially, um, to forestall the apocalypse, 
went to go rob a bank in this small town. The book comes out, incidentally, uh, this week. So um, no one could have uh, uh, read the book and, and gotten joy from me telling them about it prior to right now. <laughs> um, but I blurbed it, so I read it uh, a couple months ago. Um, they go to this bank. Everything goes wrong. Oh. And, and it ends up being a 36-hour gunfight oh. from the streets of this small town in uh, the Inland Empire all the way up to the top of Mount Baldy, which is a mountain um, in Southern California that people... So it's like on. a real-life heat. Yeah, it's a, it is literally the real-life heat. Oh um, but the fascinating thing about this book um, is... It's not just about the true story of the bank robbers. It's also the true story of all these cops that were involved with it as well. And there's a scene in the middle of the book that is a three-minute moment when the cops and the bank robbers are shooting at each other in the middle of the street. And this three-minute scene takes 75 pages because he goes, the author goes, from the point of view of the cops, the bank robbers, people in the individual cars that are getting shot. Oh, it's amazing. it's an absolute tour de force of writing, and then you find out that it also like all great nonfiction. And I was really thinking about um, the wonderful book we read earlier in the year or last year, I guess, uh, Killers, Killers of the of Flower, Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. That you realize that that what happened in this amazing gunfight in this botched robbery changed the face of law enforcement in America. So one um, key thing is that these guys, the bank robbers, and there were, I want to say there were six of them or something like that. um, They had automatic weapons and the cops didn't because it was 1980. (sighs) And so these bank robbers destroyed this entire city block, were blowing up cars, were shooting all these cops, and the cops were shooting at them with, you know, Pistols. With pistols. There was one automatic weapon in the entire Inland Empire that the cops had access to, and it was in the trunk of a car in Fontana or something that one guy happened to know where it was, and that one automatic weapon essentially ended up changing how this all ended up turning out. Wow. And it changed the way cops are armed and changed the way cops respond to an armed conflict. So it's an amazing piece of work. But then it also goes into the trial after the event and the lives of these cops and these robbers afterwards, the, the tremendous traumatic stress that the cops had. It's, it's just absolutely essential reading. Um, again, it's called Norco 80. It comes out um, on, I think, June 2nd. So by the time you listen to this, or June, June 11th, so right, right when you're listening to this, it'll be out. Um, it's by a writer named Pete Houlihan, which is spelled H-O-U-L-A-H-A-N. Um, and it's just, it, it's going to be a movie. There's no way it's not going to be a movie. Yeah. So I recommend buying it before all your friends tell you to go see it when it <laughs> stars, you know, Ethan Hawke or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember you talking about this book a couple months ago, and I, I'm going to buy it. Oh, God, it's so good. Um, all right, I have a poetry recommendation. Ooh. This is this is the poetry book that ha, ha, I've been obsessed with for the last couple of weeks. I even sent Todd and Julia a text or an email to be like, "Read this poem." Um, this is uh, it's 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 a it's a poet named Kelly Russell 
Agodon? Agodon? Agodon. A-G-O-D-O-N is her last name, and she spells Kelly with an I at the end. And the collection that I have is called Hourglass Museum. And first of all, the reason I found out about this poet is because I am uh, signed up for Poem a Day from poets.org. I highly recommend this to every one of our listeners. Just sign up for it. They bring in a different uh, guest editor every month to select what poem a day. But every day you check your email and you get a poem. And, you know, some of them are awful. Uh, (laughs) Most of them are good. Most of them are good. And most of them, every day I'm... I'm reaching for my phone in the morning to do my normal bullshit checkup that makes me feel awful most of the time. <laughs> and instead, uh, I find real beautiful poetry. And never, you know, they're never long. And then also, they usually have a blurb about the poem and introducing you to the poet. And uh, about the poem, if it's a contemporary poet, it's written by the poet. So mm. you get, a, a, like, here's why I wrote this poem, which really helps contextualize a lot of poetry. So that's how I discovered this poet, because I think, you know, some, they put out one of her poems, uh, uh, you know, a month or two ago, and I immediately loved it and went and bought her c- collection, Hourglass Museum. This is, um, I, I, everyone just needs to buy this. I haven't felt this way about a poet in a long time. The intelligence, the sensitivity, she's a, she's, she writes about, this collection is about art mm-hmm. and galleries, uh, showings a lot. So actually at the, I didn't realize it until just today when I actually finished the collection. At the back, she um, describes every one of the works of art that she references in the in the poems, which is super helpful. And so that's going to make rereading this book really fun for me because oh, I can't yeah. wait to Google all these works of art. So it really hits the sweet spot for me because I love writers writing about writing or about the creation of artwork or their thoughts about artwork. I just love that stuff. Um, but she is just... On the page, like moment to moment, the words are, it's so good. And then it just keeps growing for me. I'll read one poem, um, which isn't actually indicative of the rest of the collection. It's it's actually a little bit of an outlier, but it's really great. And I think it'll concisely show the, the, the levels that she's operating on. It's called Sketchbook with an Undercurrent of Grief. I escaped disaster by writing a poem with a joke in it. The past, present, and future walk into a bar. It was tense. (laughs) There's everything to kill with laughter. I browsed the magazines in his hospital room. At my father's last breath, I saw an ad for Sky. My father always said he was part Irish, part Scotch. I used to jog, but the ice kept falling out of my glass. I think of Warhol's Dom Perignon ad, dead artists returning to sell champagne. My father's body was moved from the room. They put ice on his eyes, the only organ healthy enough to donate. Did I start out by saying I escaped disaster by writing a poem with a joke in it? Those last five words weren't necessary. A girl walks into a bard. Mm. Oh, that's good it, stuff. It's amazing. It's like it, you know. I mean, and this one has more humor than most of her stuff, but it, the 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 intelligence is just astounding. Like every one of her poems, you know, when I read a poetry collection, 
I don't usually take notes or underline. What I do is I just fold down the corner of the page so I mm -hmm. know when I pick up the collection again. I have folded down probably collection. 30, yeah, almost the entire <laughs> book. And that's when I know that like, oh my God, I have to, you know, whenever I read a poem and I'm like, I want to go back and revisit that, I fold down the corner of the page and this entire book is folded down. Like I just need to keep revisiting it. And so I haven't experienced, I haven't felt this this strongly about a, a contemporary poet in a long time. So wow. I really, I really cannot, if anybody's into poetry and wants to check it out, Kelly Russell at Godin, uh, she's amazing. Well, oddly enough, that dovetails into a book I cannot wait to read this summer, um, which is also a book of poetry. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, uh, it comes out in September. It is Matthew Zapruder's new collection of poems called Father's Day. Um, if you follow us on our Twitter account, you know that we tweeted out um, a new poem by Matthew a couple weeks ago called My Life that was in the New Yorker. And the poem swept around the internet um, after it came out because it's an absolutely heartbreaking piece of work uh, by Matthew. And Matthew's a friend of mine, I should note as well. Um, but Matthew's my favorite poet on the entire planet. And he, <laughs> he would be if I didn't know him. Um, he just speaks directly to um, to something uh, emotional inside of me, but also something real. You know, we're about the same age. Um, we we had somewhat, you know, strange upbringings. Um, we have a lot of shared interests, including the Golden State Warriors. Um, but this poem that he wrote um, is about his son. Um, and it's in The New Yorker. And just reading this one poem alone made me so excited for his book. And, you know, I, I wonder if this is a legal writer. There's audio of Matthew reading it on the New Yorker's website. Can we play that, do you think? Do you think that's yeah, legal? Probably. All right. It's for review purposes. Yeah, what, what could happen? All right, this is Matthew Zapruder reading his poem, um, My Life. My Life. Four years ago on Martin Luther King Day, in the afternoon, the little strip said it was time. So we did it twice. Laughing through that grim, comical despair, familiar to all modern conceivers. It was magical, only that it worked. But now I know it was then my life began. We made so many plans, circumstances already waited to obviate. Suddenly he was born, a room full of blood and shouting. He stayed calm, sleeping on my chest a long time while they sewed you up. He and I in a room alone, under a soft white light. One nurse came to say it was all right. You were not, but you were there. I talked to him. Whatever I said, I don't remember. Then came the proud, sleepless, happy sorrow months. Then slow, realizing playground dread. The year of diagnosis, when our life kept being a place for worsening fears and enviable comfort to occur as we graciously received the humiliation of being the ones gratefully not to be. Those many hours in the bedroom, screaming, then lurching out for exhausted walks, trying with no success to protect us from everything anyone could say. Gradually, all our friends and family, lovingly, without intention, back into their lives abandoned us. We did not know it was just us, growing stronger in relation to a future where no one without permission may join us. Now we're moving, fortunate ones, from our beloved house to another on a hill near a school where his mind 
happily alive in music and grow. Can I say he is my painful joy? He thinks in rhyme, the truest friend to no one yet. He is my favorite word, remembrancer. Why am I telling you? You know it all. And yet to say my version of our story in the morning very early, imagining you sitting behind me, touching my shoulder, scares and comforts me. Before I go, I want to tell you something new. All the time I walk around, thinking this life, yes, but is this lovely accident correct? And someday, how will it happen to our bodies? And when it does, will we feel like we lived or just lived through? Oof, damn. <laughs> I'm literally crying. <laughs> I don't know why I just did that to myself. I know. Why'd you put that on our show? God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Uh, so yeah, listeners, I, you, yeah, I remember you when could, you sent that out. If you that catch was... video, you can see Ryder and me crying <laughs> on Google Hangout. Oh, man. Oh, Jesus. Come on, our dudes Our dudes night turned into us crying together <laughs> over poem. As, as all great deed nights do, and eventually it's just two men sobbing. <laughs> So wow. anyway, um, oh, that's good to hear. Like, yeah, I had read it when it came out or when you sent it mm-hmm. around. But man, hearing him read it. Fuck, yeah, it's devastating. It's and devastating and wonderful. And so uh, that's just one yeah. poem that is in Matthew's new book, Father's Day, uh, which comes out on September 3rd. I, and I absolutely can't um, wait to get it and then sit in the bathroom and sob. It's I guess. <laughs> Until Wendy's like, what are you doing? We go, Matthew's got me sobbing again. Oh, God. yeah, it's great. It's so, um, it's so, uh, <laughs> Listeners, we and are, accessible. We are literally covered in tears, <laughs> the two of us. <laughs> it's oh, ridiculous. Fuck. No, it's so good because it's, it's, it's so accessible. Like, there, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, you just, you only need to hear it or read it once and you get it but there's still so much to unpack in there. There's right. still so much going on that like, wow. I mean, it, I, I only read it once when I think you tweeted it out, mm-hmm. uh, out from the literary, but hearing it again, it, it was very fresh and, and there's, uh, there's yeah. lines. It's just, like, he's my favorite word. I, I just yeah. can't. Oh my God. And uh, his favorite word is remembrancer, uh-huh. which is a, mm-hmm. which is a great word. Um, and the, uh, my, my painful joy Oh God! Yeah, it's It's hard. It's so hard. And you know, I sometimes I think, well, maybe I feel this way because obviously I I know his life and we're friends. No, I don't know him. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't (laughs) matter matter. in the least. (laughs) It's just really powerful, um, amazing writing. Um, And you know, this is the thing. Like we talked about it in the last episode. Like here is this poet who could just continue to be a great poet you know, writing about whatever he wants to write about. And, and Matthew writes funny poems. He writes personal poems. He writes political poems. He had a very good poem about Roseanne Barr. Hmm. But here he is just like saying, all right, come into my house. Yeah, exactly. This is what my life is, you right. know? Welcome to my head. And being vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and hey, Ryder and Todd, why don't you cry a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. It's so good. Oh, so anyway, it's really good, man. That's right, some, I can't wait, I can't to, wait read to read that, that in September. Collection. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. I have uh, uh, changing the subject, uh, which is actually the title of the book I want to oh. talk about. 
And you're gonna you're gonna love this. This is Sven Burkert's book. Oh. Um, so for our listeners who don't know, Sven Burkert's uh, is one of the co-founders or one of the main faculty at our grad school uh, that we yeah. went to the the Bennington um, MFA program. So he's not Bennington there anymore. Seminars. He's not there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if he. So he took it over while we were there. Um, and he was a, a great, a good teacher of mine that I had had, uh, even though he was a primary, he's a nonfiction writer and he uh, mostly taught nonfiction. He stepped into a fiction workshop that, and and was a great teacher to work with and gave me great notes and a good guy. But I had never read anything that he had written. Oh, I wow. knew his reputation. Um, it, his reputation was sort of solidified in, in the 90s. He wrote a book called The Gutenberg Elegies which was this sort of anti-technological, um, I don't know if it's anti-technological, but he, he was he was certainly concerned about the loss of books right. and the loss of literature. And he turned out to be very right. Yeah. So this out. is a, yeah. I mean, he was basically predicting the rise of the internet and the loss of the book as an art form or, or as a, as a, an experience that people sit down with and read cover to cover. Like that was what he was, I actually haven't read Gutenberg elegies, but I've been reading, and I, it's a great collection of essays that's more recent. I'm not, I'm not sure when this book came out. I'm not even sure why I started reading it. I think I read something that that was like, oh, I've never actually read Sven. I should read this. So mm. it's, it's called Changing the Subject, Art and Attention in the Internet Age. Hmm. And um, his last name is Burkert's, B-I-R-K-E-R-T-S. And um, I've been reading this slowly, so I'm only about five essays in, but it's a great summer read, um, and I go buy it in actual book form. <laughs> so when you're on vacation this summer and you're taking a break, you can dip into this, um, and it will make you start thinking about, you know, I feel like there's all these, there's a, there's a lot of newspaper articles that we all read about phone usage and our internet addiction right. and our over overuse of email and and our attention problems and all of this and Sven is Sven is the guy you should be reading if you have any if you click on those articles and you read it and you kind of don't feel better afterwards read <laughs> read Sven's work because he is so intelligent he is so thoughtful and this is a man who still does not own a cell phone in today's age and he's very aware of that and he's very upfront about how crazy that is and he's describing his his experiences so like you know he'll have an essay he has an essay just on the concept of um serendipity and um you know it's he goes back to the root of the word and where it comes from and then he just talks about the notion of serendipity which which is you know lucky discovery or right. like being lost and like finding yourself finding meaning in surprise and and uh that's something that's going away. Like none of us get in our car and drive anywhere anymore serendipitously. We never end up somewhere. We don't run into people. We don't, our, our, the, the amount of information that we are all existing within because we all have our phones in our pockets with access to answers and maps and um, connection to anybody in our life we want to, mm -hmm. we can reach them in a moment, 30 seconds it takes, right? And Sven's just sort of taking a step back and being like, is that good? Is more information good? Is the sea of information better? Uh, does, it does, and it's, it's not. And I, I agree that it's not. And he's very, mm. 
he's very good at explicating why and exploring why, not in a condescending, um, uh, like, I, I guess my impression of his writing based on just having seen him lecture at Bennington was that, you know, oh, he's a curmudgeon. Like he's this, right. this sort of like out of touch Luddite, which he he's very open about. He's like, yes, I am an out of touch Luddite. But can we take a moment and just talk about these things and sort of work through these ideas? So each one of these essays is a really, really patient thoughtful examination of you know the use of gps well, and how does know, that affect your actual lived experience so here's the thing though and, and i yeah. agree that there are obvious plus and minuses but i think the issue is the onslaught of information cre- makes it impossible to understand the hierarchy of importance of that information right exactly like that's why we get flooded with we get flooded with so much news we can't fake even, news yeah right. we, we can't even figure out what the most important thing of it is it's just we get everything and so when you are trying to have a realistic experience in the world where you discover something new but you're also using your phone to get you the directions to where you're going and you can see yourself from space um is that true exploration and you know i i, I don't know i mean i I don't like to get lost, so it's, right. it's hard to well, say. But, but I mean, I think that the algorithm algorithmization of our lives is so devastating, and I don't think we're even realizing it. Like I've noticed that, like for instance, let's say I'm going to talk about something for literary disco, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to I'm going to talk about Ursula Le Guin, like I was earlier in this episode. What do I do to prepare for that? Like, honestly, like my mm-hmm. initial instinct is to Google Ursula right. Le Guin, right? And then I click on three things that are probably the same three things everybody clicks on because they're the first, you know, the Wikipedia page, right. the this. The, and and so the the range of my thinking about Ursula Le Guin and my presentation of her for this podcast suddenly gets limited by the algorithm that pushes these three pages to the top of the Google page or whatever. Right. That's true. And, That's true. Right. And, and, and like, it's, I have to make a conscious effort. Like I didn't do that. I honestly didn't. I decided I want to just read Ursula Quinn in actual book form based on, you know, the, the reasons that I brought her up earlier. Like there's a lot of reasons to already, and I can form my own opinion about her, but that's like forming your own opinion about how to approach information or how to approach works of art or how to think about them is actually requiring effort. Like, Forming your own opinion is not the standard experience in the world. Having entering into experiences that are already sort of predetermined for you is the normal human experience right. now. Like I don't read anything without knowing why I should read it, how I should read it, what Todd and Ryder on Literary Disco think about before I read it. You know, like we're all living in this sort of echo chamber of experiences. And it's it's really terrifying to me uh, because, you know, what ends up happening is what is happening to us culturally where we, the loudest, most bullying voices win, right? Right. Because they're just going to be keep repeating ad nauseum until we're all, you know, freaking out about what the bully is doing, but we're still just talking about what the bully is doing instead of thinking for ourselves. Well, I mean, Um, just tonight before we did the show, I was watching the news in fact, and, uh, or, and, but I wasn't watching the news. I was watching Rachel Maddow on, on, on MSNBC which is not the news, which is opinion. It's a commentary show. Yeah. yeah but it's where I get my news. <laughs> and um, they had this clip of this woman at some rally somewhere who hadn't heard anything about the Mueller report not exonerating Trump because she says, well, I, you know, they don't say anything bad about the Mueller report on, on Fox News or any of the websites I read. And I was like, oh, my God. Right. Like, 
you if you just self-select, you never get any counterbalance to the things that you're receiving. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like this is the end of human civilization. Yeah. <laughs> As I watched Rachel Maddow on MSNBC and not, you know, the nightly news somewhere else, you know. I, yeah, no. Um my my friend Kyle uh uh Kyle Morton of the band Typhoon, which is awesome. Who I was just listening my wedding. to today. Yeah. They're amazing. So Kyle Kyle said it to me once. He's like, yeah, the algorithm says, do you like ice cream? Keep keep eating ice cream. Let me, here, give you more ice cream. And so we all just keep eating <laughs> right. the fucking ice cream that the internet's feeding us. And it's not good for us. It's going to make us all fat. I intellectually was, uh, fat. Just today, I was sitting at my desk and I was needing a release from this life. And I was listening to uh, Typhoon's great song, Summer House. Such a oh, great yeah. song. Beautiful song. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Okay, well, that sounds like a fantastic, uh, very boring slow book. Uh, no, it's it's little essays. That's what I'm. That it's not like it's it's something pack it for your summer vacation along with the true crime that Todd okay. recommended and the other quick reads. But if you want like a just don't buy, just stop reading like articles, you know, from the New Yorker and the Atlantic only on this subject. Take a time, take a moment with Sven because he's he's a really thoughtful guy, and I I, I think he's really onto something that's important. All right, so I've got I got a toss up here. I got two books here that I could talk about. All right, pick one. Um, all right, I'm gonna pick one and then I'll mention the other. Uh, <laughs> it, apparently, in the summer, I apparently read a lot of nonfiction, other than all the Jane Austen I have to read. Um, I'm reading, or I'm going to read when we, uh, it'll come out in August for those of you who don't get free books in the mail. Um, it comes out August 6, twenty nineteen. It is a memoir by one of my favorite novelists. It is Susan Strait's memoir. In the Country of Women. Um, if you're not familiar with Susan Strait, she's published eight novels, um, including the book High Wire Moon, which yeah. lost the National Book Award to a book called The Corrections. So therefore, I hate Jonathan Franz and he can go fuck himself. Uh, High Wire Moon's <laughs> a beautiful book. It's a yeah, great book. That's, that's her book that I've read. I, I haven't read anything else. Um, she's also won the uh, Lannan Literary Award for Fiction. She is the winner of a Guggenheim Fellowship, the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Lifetime Achievement. Um, she has done everything, but this is her first book in, gosh, I think six or seven years. Um, and it's a memoir, um, and it is about uh, both her relationship with her mother, but also the relationship of her raising her three daughters who are mixed race. Her husband uh, was African-American. He still is African-American, but he's not still her husband. Um, <laughs> uh, raising three mixed race girls in um, Riverside, which is a not exactly oh tolerant part of Southern California. Um, but Susan is just really, if you don't know her outside the West Coast, I feel like she's more of a regional author um, because she writes almost solely about Riverside. Um, though her book, uh, A Million Nightingales, took place in Louisiana. Um, this this book is a long time coming. It's, you know, it's a very revealing book of essays. Uh, it's very funny, um, the ones that I've read thus far, um, but it's also extraordinarily touching. Um, and Susan has a great affinity for writing about people literally who live on the other side of the tracks and letting you understand that they might be criminals or they might be crooks or they might be drug addicts, but they're still human beings and they got yeah. there somehow. And I love the way she does that. Um, and I... I I guess this is just my my episode of bias. She is um, a good and dear friend of mine, um, but sometimes <laughs> we'll 
like I'll be talking to her on the at phone. At this point, what writer in the West do you not yeah, know? Yeah, well, like, it does, oh, I don't be- know this Pete Houlihan guy, but I did blurb his book. <laughs> um, you're becoming, you're become, you mean you you are running like a, a literary outpost in the West. Right. Uh, there's know. not there's not many of them, you know. There's not yeah. many hubs of literature in, in in the West Coast. So that's you, right. You're at the center of it, man. I do run one of the largest <laughs> MFA programs in the country, um, but. So sometimes I'll say to Susan, hey, you know, what's going on? What You know, what's a weird story? And she'll say, oh, I was just talking to Uncle Frosty. She's always got, like, guys that she calls uncle that are not her uncle. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I was talking to Uncle Frosty, and he asked me if I could uh, keep a box of bullets for him. And I was like, well, why do I have to keep the box of bullets? And he said, oh, because Trevor's got the walk-in pneumonia. And I just took that as an answer. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Uncle Frosty wants you to carry a a box of bullets for him because someone named Trevor has walking pneumonia. She's like, yeah, that was the that was the answer that he gave me, and so I just said, yeah, I'll I'll take the bullets. <laughs> so oh she God. has a unique ability to capture those characters. Um, the other book I'm going to mention actually it comes out at the very end of summer, um, and it's called Your House Will Pay. It's a novel by Steph Cha, um, who is a a crime writer that you might not have heard of before, but this is going to be her huge breakout book. Um, and I am really looking forward to it. And it, it comes out, I think the last week of September, but also has the coolest cover. Um, so I won't say anything more about it because we'll talk about it in the fall, but it's called your house will pay by Steph Cha. Awesome. All right. So that's our summer reading, right? We covered, covered a lot of books between the two of us. Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.